We dress up like extinct animals and sing in a bank and get arrested and go to jail and try to sleep. And then we come home and sleep and get up and dress like extinct animals and get on the subway to another bank where we meet the Stop Shopping singers and go into the lobby and sing, hand out investment information, and then get handcuffed and go to jail, or maybe just the precinct house for a few hours, but maybe the tombs, city jail, up to three days and nights and face the judge again and make some promise or other and go home and get ready to go banking. We shower and then study bank investments and then call other shopping stoppers. And can you believe UPS is bankrolling that Aussie coal? And then we read more extinction reports. And then we dress up like another kind of threatened life. And we go sing in bank lobbies and parking lots and drive through teller windows and bank-sponsored art events and preach inside a circle of faces who are loathing us and giggling stunned with fraud. We hand out information on earth crimes that happen from their money. And we get arrested and handcuffed and go to jail. And maybe just a warning, in which case we do more research after returning home. And love our loved ones and eat and drink and read and wash and do laundry and put off the bills. And we're exhausted so we fall asleep and dream of rainforests, prairies, coral reefs we wake up and then we dress up dress up like extinct animals and get on the subway and meet the other singers who are wearing the giant heads of the long gone golden toad or maybe they're covered with threatened honeybees <laughs> we're off to the bank broke but laughing all the way to the bank Reverend Billy here. Come on in. I'm preaching for the planet today, but I need your help. I'm talking about good stories, great stories. What do they all have in common? It seems to me that when you walk away, having just experienced a great story, that you have this single thing that you carry as you walk. You believe in it so much. It's pure. It's strong. It's, there's always a central, magical belief that you have. It's got all the memories in your body that you had that have anything to do with the subject of that story. It's just rising up a great story. It feels good. Now, listen to me. What if there was a story that was told and we all heard the story at the same time and that story left us very sure, very clear with that single thing and that single thing was life. And it's such a strong story that we walk away from that story carrying the life in us. Now, the question of what life is has its answer in what we do with that story in us. And we all walk around trying to help each other live because that was such a great story that we understand life so well that we know we can't live alone. Life flourishes, life lives well when we are Helping life live around us. Amen. Praise be. life hallelujah. Yeah. American planes full of holes and wounded men and corpses took off backwards from an airfield in England. Over France, a few German fighter planes flew at them backwards. 
sucked bullets and shell fragments from some of the planes and crewmen. They did the same for wrecked American bombers on the ground, and those planes flew up backwards to join the formation. The formation flew backwards over a German city that was in flames. The bombers opened their bomb bay doors, exerted a miraculous magnetism which shrunk the fires, gathered them into cylindrical steel containers, and lifted the containers into the bellies of the planes. The containers were stored neatly in racks. The German below had miraculous devices of their own, which were long steel tubes. They used them to suck more fragments from the crewmen and planes. But there were still a few wounded Americans, and some of the bombers were in bad repair. Over France, though, German fighter planes came up again, made everything and everybody as good as new. When the bombers got back to their base, the steel cylinders were taken from the racks and shipped back to the United States of America, where factories were operating night and day, dismantling the cylinders, separating the dangerous contents into minerals. Touchingly, it was mainly women who did this work. The minerals were then shipped to specialists in remote areas. It was their business to put them into the ground to hide them cleverly so they would never hurt anybody ever again.
Hey, here we are, Reverend Billy here at the Church of Stop Shopping. Let's get back to that great story, that story of life. It's waiting for us to read it, to listen to it, to tell it, to walk with it in our bodies. The change, the transformation that would have to take place in our bodies to start saving life again, to protect it. It would have to be a revolution in our reality. It would have to be an amazing focus and courage because it would be doing illegal things. Certainly, I meant it when I said a revolution in reality. We'll have to do things that are shocking because it is counterintuitive. It's not what we have been doing. We'll have to fly our bombers backwards, as Kurt Vonnegut just suggested. All my life, this country, the United States, has been waging illegal, immoral wars that have nothing to do with national defense. But that has washed back into our bodies. And we've allowed ourselves to do all kinds of things as a result of the spread of that kind of attitude. Killing animals, killing life around the world. Plants, even bacteria, disappearing right now. Accelerating extinction. That's in the story. We're not reading it. All right, look around. What have we got to work with? How do we start this process of being radical enough to survive? Well, I think the seed for continuing life is there in life itself. I had an experience 10 years ago, the birth of our daughter, Lena. It was a difficult labor, but it happened. And finally, out she came into our arms. And Savitri and I, we swore we would protect that life. We would live our lives to the extent that it was possible with this life, protect it, grow it, introduce this life to life, make life as good an experience, as great a story as Lena would possibly have. It was just going to be our life from now on. We, oh, we could never have guessed how that would feel. It was outside of our experience utterly. And now I look and I turn and I look at the mainstream culture and I'm saying, this feeling for life is in all of us and must spread across culture and must resist and change defeat, if necessary, those institutions that are aiding and abetting this death march, this extinction that we're experiencing right now. And I'm talking about governments, religions. I'm talking about corporations. I'm talking about military. These big old institutions that have allowed this to take place they never really turned and faced climate change chaos. We got the language from them. We get the stories, the minor advertising from them. They say they're caring. Now, even Amazon putting a million metric tons of carbon dioxide into the air every week. Amazon, all these advertisements right now on the screens. They're acting like they're the leader in saving the earth. We have to know deep down that the story could go one way, it could go the other way. 
We could lose our lives. We could lose everything, our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, our children could be swept into extinction right now. That is what is happening. That is where we are headed. Oh, the solution is in us. The coming into life, the birth tells us life is unassailable. Life cannot be bought and sold. Life cannot become a product. We need to own our lives. We need to love life so much. We would do things that we cannot imagine. We would live, live life in a way that protects life against the violence. Oh, you and I, I feel you. That revolution in our reality, it is there for us. If we love enough, love hallelujah, life hallelujah. Let's tell that great story together. Amen. Hello, welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. The environmental group Oshana surveyed dozens of government agencies, organizations, and institutions that collect data on the impact of plastic on marine mammals and sea turtles in the U.S. and found evidence of almost 1,800 animals from 40 different species swallowing plastic or becoming entangled in it. Of the 1,792 animals that swallowed or became entangled in plastic, 861 were sea turtles and 931 were marine mammals from 34 different species. 88% of the nearly 1,800 animals were species listed as endangered or threatened with extinction under the Endangered Species Act. From 2009 to 2018, there were on average 170 observed instances of plastics impacting marine mammals and sea turtles every year. Plastics affected animals at all life stages, from recently hatched sea turtles to seal mothers with actively nursing pups. Some sea turtle groups consumed plastic up to three times more often than average for their species. Some marine mammals, such as the northern fur seal, consumed plastic up to 50 times more often than average for eared seals. In the cases where plastic ingestion was the likely cause of or contributor to death, seven involved just one piece of plastic. Plastics ranged in size and type, from microplastics that were perforating the gastrointestinal tract of a baby sea turtle, to DVD cases and huge plastic sheets that had been swallowed whole by whales. A high-altitude Bolivian cloud forest has staked its claim as a global biodiversity hotspot, as biologists announced that they had discovered an amazing 20 species new to science. This Shangri-La of biodiversity is known as the Zongo Valley, located just 30 miles from the city of La Paz, Bolivia. It has been protected from human intrusion because of the steepness of the mountain slopes, which range from 2,000 to 17,000 feet in elevation. These slopes are home to a cloud forest that forms as rising moist air condenses and produces a constant high-altitude rainfall that supports a wide variety of animals. 
from the rare Andean bear to tiny dung beetles and unusual plants that resemble insects. Andean cloud forests like the Zongo also produce most of the water that drains into the Amazon River basin. The Zongo's rugged terrain and steep hillsides have also isolated animals and plants from each other, thereby producing new species over generations. One animal they found is the Lilliputian frog, which measures approximately 10 millimeters in length, or about half the width of a dime, which makes it among the smallest amphibians in the world. It lives in tunnels beneath moss and was only found by patiently tracking its low-pitched call. The expedition team also found the mountain fer de lance, a new species of venomous pit viper, which uses heat-sensing pits on its head to detect prey, and the Bolivian flag snake, which is distinguished by red, yellow, and green colors similar to the Bolivian flag. The team has also isolated four new butterfly species, including two species that feed on flower nectar in open areas and forest clearings, and two that were only caught with a long-handled net while flying high in the forest canopy. They also cataloged four new kinds of orchids, including a species with flower parts that appear to mimic an insect to fool unwitting pollinators. One of the scientists on the expedition rediscovered a devil-eyed frog that he first discovered and named in 1997, which was thought to have been wiped out by the construction of a nearby hydropower plant. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced that monarch butterflies will not come under federal protection in 2020 because resources are being used for other animal listings. The first known case of the novel coronavirus in a non-captive wild animal has now been confirmed. A wild mink in Utah tested positive during screening of wildlife around fur farms with outbreaks. The strain of the virus in the wild mink is indistinguishable from that in infected mink on farms around the state. In the U.S., coronavirus outbreaks have been documented at 16 mink farms in Utah, Wisconsin, Oregon, and Michigan, with the most cases in Utah. But until now, no wild mink cases had been detected, despite ongoing testing of mink, raccoons, skunks, and other animals around farms with infections. The virus has also been found in a number of captive wild animals, including lions, tigers, and snow leopards, as well as in domestic dogs and cats. Some of the world's largest food companies and grocers urged large commodity suppliers to stop trading soybeans associated with deforestation in Brazil's Cerrado region, a savanna that is a hive of biodiversity and one of the country's most important carbon sinks. Nestle, Unilever, McDonald's, Walmart, and Tesco, as well as other consumer goods companies, demanded in a letter that the traders refuse to trade soy from deforested regions of the Cerrado starting next year. The letter was sent by more than 160 signatories of the Consumer Goods Forum's Cerrado Manifesto Statement of Support. About 60% of Brazil's soybeans are grown in the Cerrado region, which has become a focal point of climate change activism in recent years as President Jair Bolsonaro prioritized expanding economic interests, including agriculture, over ecological conservation. A team at the University of Massachusetts Amherst developed new green technology that generated electricity seemingly out of thin air. The device they created, which they call an airgen, used electrically conductive protein nanowires to create electricity from moisture in the air. 
They also pointed out the device could run 24-7, was non-polluting, renewable, and could be produced inexpensively. And scientists in East Africa have discovered a rare ocean refuge for coral, where species are still thriving despite the accelerating climate crisis impacting other nearby reefs. The stronghold in the Indian Ocean off the coasts of Tanzania and Kenya teems with life and is described as a jewel of biodiversity by researchers. The newly discovered reef complex is located in a rare ocean cool spot, which the researchers believe is helping to protect the large populations of corals and marine mammals from the devastating impact of warming sea temperatures. And now the sounds of extinction. The humpback whale is a species of baleen whale. It is one of the larger rorqual species, with adults ranging in length from 39 to 52 feet and weighing between 28 and 33 short tons. The humpback has a distinctive body shape with long pectoral fins and a knobbly head. Found in oceans and seas around the world, humpback whales typically migrate up to 6,000 miles each year. They feed in polar waters and migrate to tropical or subtropical waters to breed and give birth, fasting, and living off their fat reserves. Their diet consists mostly of krill and small fish. Like other large whales, the humpback was the target of the whaling industry. The species was once hunted to the brink of extinction, and its population fell by an estimated 90 percent before a 1966 moratorium. While stocks have partially recovered to some 80,000 animals worldwide, Entanglement in fishing gear, collisions with ships, and noise pollution continue to affect the species. Humpback whales are famous for their songs. Cetaceans have no vocal cords. Instead, they produce sound by a larynx-like structure found in the throat, the mechanism of which has not been clearly identified. Whales do not have to exhale to produce sound. Scientists are unsure of the purpose of whale songs. Only males sing, suggesting one purpose is to attract females or to induce estrus in the females, though it may also be a challenge to other males. Humpback whales make other sounds to communicate, such as grunts, groans, snorts and barks, and even soft whispers. And hear the song of the humpback whale.
Welcome to this week's interview. I'm with a very special activist in our struggle against hegemonic, domineering, imperialistic corporations. My God, the Amazon company. And this is Chris Smalls, a person who rose in prominence this spring as he tried to be a part of a group that brought information about the coronavirus to people inside of the Amazon distribution center in Staten Island. We're honored to be working with Chris in a series of actions that involve Jeff Bezos's New York mansion on the northwest corner of Madison Square Park. Chris, let's talk for a while. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored to be working with you as well. Well, the first one, our funeral, which was a, a kind of like an Irish funeral, and it was kind of a celebration as well as a, a time for sorrow celebration because there is hope, but sorrow, especially for the who knows how many people inside of the many distribution hubs of this big company that now involves a million and a half people have contracted COVID-19. What are the figures you hear about the health inside the company at this point? Well, I could tell you even now, nine months, almost nine months after I've been fired, the morale and the company, at least in the warehouse, my former warehouse is definitely down. The numbers, they're watered down. You know, I believe that there's a lot more, like you mentioned, a million plus Amazon employees worldwide, 600,000 plus nationwide. I don't believe that it's just 20,000 people. You may have seen or heard about an article that came out just a few days ago about how they're hiding the numbers and keeping them away from state leaders because they don't want to disclose that information to the public. It's sad to see what they're doing, you know, putting profits above people's health. They are one of these modern companies that is a union busting company like Uber, one of these modern kind of unicorn companies that comes out of nowhere and kind of dazzles everybody. You know, Bezos is a dazzler. Now he's got that role of the richest man in the world and he's walking around in the society pages and it's no question there's no union. What he has instead of a union is a uh, marketing department. And the security department. He has one of the best security departments in the world. You know, former CIA, Pinkertons, they spend no expense on that. You know, they pay these people six figures to make sure that Amazon workers are not unionized here in the States, uh, not communicating with organizers like myself or organizations like the ones that I represent to keep people and information away, separate. Workers just go to work and make the money for them, for Jeff Bezos, and they go home and rinse and repeat. Gotta do it again. 40, 50 hours, 60 hour weeks. There's not enough time for them to really get into the outside controversy that we're out here speaking about. And that's the issue. You know, We have to make sure that we continue doing these actions so that this information it gets out there and gets to these workers. 
Well, I'd like to just mention to the listenership right now, hello out there in the, in the Earth Church. Amen. Chris is one of the leaders of a group called the Congress for Essential Workers. They have filed a federal lawsuit. Absolutely. I filed a class action lawsuit uh, a few weeks ago to once again represent all the workers that were affected by the coronavirus, particularly the black and brown indigenous communities that basically were affected the most. We were affected twice, if not three times more so than any other race due to the coronavirus and the failed protections of not only the country, but the companies that we work for. Um, when you're talking about essential workers, a majority of essential workers are black and brown and indigenous people. I have that case. And today, actually, Gerald Bryson, who protested with you on Black Friday, his case came out today in the papers. There's articles out right now that you can check out about his case with the NLRB that's picking up traction now. So I also am a, a witness for that case as well. He's filing for wrongful termination. He was fired two weeks after I was. My understanding, being at your rallies and listening to you before I met you and got to know you a little bit, you were in the cafeteria area of your warehouse and you were in a circle. You were talking about how do we protect ourselves? How do we know when we're sick? How do we know when not to come in? Where's the hand sanitizer and so forth? You were working on sharing the information that the company was not bringing to you about the virus. And so you looked like you were organizing a union. They put on a poker face because that week that I spent the entire week doing that, um, off the clock in the cafeteria, organizing workers and upper management of that facility actually helped me orchestrate it. They were thanking me and praising me for doing it. But, you know, I always thought in the back of my mind, like, yeah, I hope, you know, yeah, I'm doing it out of my own good, free will and i think that it's the right thing to do but at the end of the day i want some results you know if you think that i'm just gonna gradually go back to work after this situation they were sadly mistaken themselves ultimately they forced me to take further action because i realized after spending several days doing that talking to the employees telling them the truth as a supervisor that the company didn't want them to know that they possibly could be working next to somebody with the virus at the end of the week, when I didn't get the answer for the employees, let alone myself, that's when I say, you know what, it's time to organize this protest. And two hours after that demonstration, that's when they decided to flip the switch and terminate me. That definitely is used as an intimidation tactic. You know, fire the leader, cut off the head of the snake, and, you know, everybody else will fall in line. But and instead- then the next week, uh, after you were fired, of course, they adopted all of your proposals. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> now you have to. Now they're telling the media, though, they've been doing it, and 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 not only that. A week after that, that's when Jeff Bezos himself decided to have the smear campaign meeting. This man that makes almost four thousand dollars a second, nine billion dollars an hour, thirteen billion dollars a day, decided to put together a smear campaign meeting, which got leaked, calling me not smart, articulate, and to make me the face of the whole union organizing efforts. How ironic is that? You know, that was a good one, but everything else was disgusting of what was discussed in that conversation. So that's just, you know, right there, it catapulted me into the media spotlight, but um, I didn't care about the, the fame of being on TV. I cared about the movement. So that's what I continue to do, organize with workers. 
Well, we have an action that we should mention that the Congress for Essential Workers and the Church of Stop Shopping are sharing the hosting role and inviting people to join us. Our concern that Amazon is putting a million metric tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere every week, if we're at war to survive, which the scientists tell us that's what's happening, mm-hmm. then the Hitler in this war is Jeff Bezos. There's nobody poisoning the earth faster, and by the way, making more money from it than this guy. So one of the things he does is he dumps the waste of his company into our soil and water and air and expects us to suffer, get cancer, try to clean it up. We are supposed to try to be accounting for his sins. Our idea is to represent his waste that he demands we clean up. All those cardboard boxes all over town for Christmas, all those Amazon cardboard boxes with that fat arrow, they're everywhere. They're, on, they're just clogging up the system. We've got a bunch of people collecting those boxes. We're going to make a big Christmas tree out of Jeff Bezos's waste. What do you think? That's kind of an elegant thing. We're going to celebrate, and yet we're going to make our point. It's the perfect way to bring in the holidays, especially this year in 2020. So we encourage everybody to join us in solidarity. Wednesday, December 23rd. 6 p.m. New York City. If you stand in solidarity with essential workers, Amazon workers, if you're an advocate for environmental climate control, which is definitely... um, something that works hand in hand with the labor movement. We encourage you to come out there and support us because it's important right now. Like uh, Reverend said, this man is the Hitler of the Amazon, the actual Amazon. The company name is Amazon, but he doesn't even support the real Amazon that catches fire every year or the real California fires that happen out west or the global warming that's happening all across the globe right now. We need to hold all these billionaires accountable for that, starting with the richest man in the world. That's good preaching, Chris. Learn from you, man. Let's let's give people an address. It's the northwest corner of Madison Square Park. Are the police, are you writing this down? Maybe I should go a little bit slower. I already know by heart. I've been there quite a few times. (laughs) 212 Fifth Avenue, northwest corner. Of Madison Square Park in downtown Manhattan. And that is the New York mansion of Jeff Bezos. We'll be out there advocating for workers, environmental, social injustice, everything. Now, if somebody Um, has a question, Chris, for you, can you give us a live email where people can ask you a question? Absolutely. On Twitter, at shut underscore down Amazon. No surprise there. On Instagram, chris.smalls underscore. Also, you can email me. My emails are on my social media. Please reach out at TCOEW as well. Thank you so much, Chris Smalls, and your entire community of the Congress for Essential Workers. We'll support you all the way. We know that you're the passion play of the whole program. So thank you so much for your work. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it, and God bless everybody. Stay safe. I see peace hit the talking heads like amazing facial tics. I got to be surreal sometimes to understand. 
I see the plain truth rising like a 50s Japanese lizard. I see rec rooms devour Rupert Murdoch in front of his sons. I got to be exorcised sometimes to understand. I see new drug laws that give prosecutors no time to play with. I see the fine print open like a prison door. I got to be impossible sometimes to understand. I got to be surreal. I got to be exorcised. I got to be impossible sometimes to understand. Whoa. I've got to be impossible sometimes. Anybody know what I'm talking about there in that song? We have to be impossible right now. And it's not our choice, is it? Mother Earth is saying we've got to do something utterly different than what we have been doing. Am I right? She's looking us right in the eye. She's saying, you better sign up. You better get on board. We're going to evolve. This is your window of opportunity. Are you coming or are you going? Uh, well, Earthaluya, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you. Yes. Let me do it with you. I believe it's the only choice we have. Choosing to try to get back to the promised land, trying to get back to some kind of planning, some kind of expectation based on what? <laughs> Career research? How can you do that now? It, went, it happened in a series of steps. There was, well, we noticed California, which is a, a big place, was on fire. Then we noticed that the entire continent of Australia was on fire, followed by a downpour with one billion life forms dying in that fire. Animals the thing about life is you can't count it. You can't really, you can colonize it and try to kill birds one by one and put them on the table and call them names and measure them. And, but actually life is not easily measured anymore. We say a billion animals died. We don't really know. That's our kind of our way of talking to ourselves, isn't it? How much life died when that entire continent was on fire? Oh, a billion animals. Well, could be something like that. That doesn't count the mushrooms and the plants and the bacteria and all the life that we haven't found yet. I don't think that we've found ourselves. We are a life form that now must discover ourself. That's how radical this time is. We don't know who we are on this earth. The virus seems to have taken away most of the ideas that we have of ourselves. Now what do we do? Now we have a leap of crazy earth faith. Did somebody just say earth out there? <laughs> a leap of crazy earth faith. Now... The impossible must be possible. Now, the miracle is something we demand. Why? Because the earth has said we must demand it. That's called evolution. We must evolve. 
we must evolve. Breaking up into families and communities seems to be the first step. That's what the virus is telling us we still can do right now. That's the first step to, quote unquote, our future. Why is, is family and community so strong and the earth is so strong? You go all the way from the love that you can exercise right here. I love my downstairs neighbor. She's a frontline caregiver, a nurse in an ICU. I love the teacher across the street. I love them, the families with their children who play with my child. I love the people I can be with. And then the love goes all the way to loving life, to loving the earth, to loving a forest, a wetlands, an alpine meadow, a coral reef. A lot of the stuff in the middle is now in question. You can't really trust it. Nation states, corporations, pentagons, the Holy Roman Empire. No, save me from that stuff. Save me from those institutions. We start with both our loved ones here and the life of the planet, the biosphere, the soil, the water, the sky, the atmosphere, the whole thing. Our loved ones, family and community, all the way to the earth, start with love, gratitude, forgiveness, loyalty, inclusion, allowance, the soft emotions, the forgotten emotions. That's the beginning of the radicalism that we have to find. All right, I'm going to leave you with that right now. I'm going to leave you with that impossible thought. All right, here we go. Gratitude. It's a new song by the Stop Shopping Choir. <laughs>